I am very open to feedback, so I'll usually ask people, hey, we had rounds two days ago. How did you feel like they went? What could I have done better? Welcome back to That Vet Life. In this week's episode, I am joined by my new friend, Dr. Marcus Dela Cruz. On Instagram, he is known as The Friendly Vet, where he shares pet care tips with pet parents. But he's also found his niche as a Vetstagram mentor for vet students and other early career vets. In this episode, we're talking about Marcus's mentorship story, which started not in a vet hospital, but on the field during an ultimate Frisbee match. Listen as he shares how the mentorship he received at his first job helped shape who he has become as a veterinarian and mentor. We talk about what his mentorship looked like and why it's important to define the style of mentorship you need in your first job. I was genuinely uplifted by our conversation, so let's jump into this episode. So Marcus, as we start today's episode, I feel like we have to ask a question that a lot of us are thinking, but no one's really asking. But And you're like, what did we just walk into? (laughs) What did I just walk into? (laughs) But when is Charlie getting his own Instagram? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That is not the question. That is not what I expected, right? (laughs) Honestly, that is long overdue. I think the real question is, when am I going to get my own Instagram? Because that is a bigger question. <laughs> yeah, he's the true star of my page. The like, interaction engagement is so much higher. I need to create a voice for him and just let him take over. Yes, you should start doing reels with like conversations with him. I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down and run with it. I'm looking at him right now and he's... <laughs> He's, he's like, you're talking about me. What are you talking yeah, about? No, he's sleeping. <laughs> he sleeps 26 hours a day, which I try and photo him or record him whenever he's awake so that everyone else can enjoy him. Oh, <laughs> he really is the star of the show. And honestly, if you did those kind of conversations, I feel like both of you could talk on the same brainwave about food. Because yeah. wasn't it, I forget, it was like a couple months ago, you're like, if I didn't become a vet or if I didn't have the friendly vet, I would just be like a food reviewer or, or whatever. Yeah. Someone asked me what I would have done if I didn't become a veterinarian. And that answer is like always so easy for me. Dream job would be food blogger. And me and Charlie could go to a restaurant, rate the human dishes, and then also look at the pet menu and go from there. I'll start working on it. It would be at The Friendly Foodie. I've already checked to see if the handle is available, and it is, but I just have yet to start it. Dude, you need to get on that. Someone's going to take it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. And then that can be your official account, and Charlie can take over The Friendly Vet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that will be my account, and then Charlie will will hand the reins over officially. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I just had to ask that one at the start because I was like, every time I see any content that you make, it's always Charlie-centered. And I was like, this poor guy, he needs his own Instagram account. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. He's a star. He truly is. And he's played quite a role in who you've become as a veterinarian. But we'll focus a little bit more on Charlie. He'll have his time in the limelight again in the episode. (laughs) But um Like for today, let's focus a bit more on like, how did you get to where you are right now? So you graduated vet school. 
some randomness happened in the in-between and somehow you've ended up as an awesome veterinarian who now is seriously pushing towards like how you encourage and mentor new veterinarians. But what happened in the middle there? Like something must have happened. You must have had some kind of interactions with veterinarians or, or vet students. So take us back to the beginning. And when you graduated vet school and you were all starry eyed and excited or terrified, I don't know what you were when you graduated vet school. What were you thinking about? What were you envisioning your first couple of years of practice looking like? Yeah, it's been a crazy journey. And I was terrified. I was not starry eyed. I was terrified. <laughs> I grew up in California and my wife grew up in California as well. We were high school sweethearts, so stayed together all through undergrad and then vet school. Obviously didn't go to the same schools because she's not a veterinarian. She faints at the sight of blood, so oh no, wasn't a career that she would have chosen. But grew up in California and then went to Indiana for veterinary school. So four years there, really harsh winters. In my fourth year, we had the discussion about, I'm starting to look for jobs. Where am I going to go? And so I knew I wanted to end up back in California. And I said, ideally, or we said, ideally, end up by a beach. My brother-in-law, or my wife's brother, knew a veterinarian who owned uh, two practices. One is a general practice and one is an ER facility, 24-7. And it is located on the beach. So he put me in contact with him and I did my externship there for my fourth year. So six weeks working there. I did three weeks at the general practice and three weeks at the ER hospital. The only kind of application or question that they had for my brother-in-law was, is he a normal human? (laughs) What? How do you answer that? Yeah. And so he said, yeah, he's a normal, relatable guy. And I don't know what he's like as a veterinarian, but you guys can try him out. Externship went well enough that during my second week, they said, hey, what are you doing when you graduate? And I said, I have no idea. And they asked me to join their team. And I called my wife that night and said, oh, we're moving to California. This place is amazing. I know you're shoveling snow right now, but I'm at the beach and it's great. And she said, well, yeah, that sounds great, but I also have to find a job in that city. So that's kind of how I landed where I did. And I practiced there for four years. I had incredible mentors there and um, eventually got comfortable enough where I felt that I could get on a social media kind of wavelength and start to expand my reach, I guess. And I just kind of fell into this place where I'm interacting with newer graduates who are veterinarians and also people who are well-established veterinarians and just growing that community so that I'm able to have conversations with people like you, which has been tremendous. Let's back up a little bit then. So you said you had incredible mentorship at this first practice, which honestly just kind of was like a happenstance. Someone you knew knew someone else, and then you got connected that way. So you landed in there. You did your externship. You're like, hey, I like these people. Hey, I like this place. And you said, yep, I'll work here. Did you know when you were making that decision that you liked the style of mentorship or you aligned well with the style of mentorship? Or was that something you figured out after you signed on the dotted line? Completely lucky. 
after I signed on the dotted line, I knew that I got along with them outside of the hospital and inside of the hospital. But the once I actually was working for them and there was a kind of more formal mentor-mentee relationship, it fit really well. And it's not the type of relationship or mentorship that everyone likes and benefits from. So it was pure happenstance, very lucky. Partly doing that externship or six weeks with them, you really get to know them. So it's part luck, part just getting the experience and getting to know them. Yeah, like the candy coating gets worn away. You can't be yeah. perfect for six straight weeks with someone. You it, it all gets worn away at some point. So I think that is a that is a huge benefit for any students that are listening that are trying to figure out if they get along with a clinic or if they really want to work there, if they have the opportunity to do, I say at least two weeks. Like you need at least two weeks in order to see if the candy coating is going to get worn away. If you can do more than two weeks, fantastic. That'll give you a really good idea of whether or not you fit into the culture of that practice well or not. So for you then, when you found that this culture, you're like, I get along with these people. And then you had, like you say, was it more of a formal mentor, mentee? And you said not everybody, like that doesn't work for everyone. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah. So I had the phrases, it takes a village, right? So it definitely was... um multiple people involved in my mentorship, but more formally, the person who I was designated to go to, who was in charge of my onboarding, who wanted to ensure that we checked off X, Y, and Z cases before, like case discussions before I actually saw them. His name was Joel Kahn. He was the owner of the hospital at the time, was a medical director as well. He was a great mentor for me but he is not a great mentor for everyone. And I think that's really important to find the person who's going to fit for you. He is great for me because for him as a practice owner, the medicine you're going to practice is black and white. You're either going to do your A plus plan or you're going to do the best that the owner can afford, but we're not going to do something that doesn't make sense or that doesn't have evidence-based support. So he made decision-making for me very easy instead of giving me middle ground or, you know, a lot of options. It's this or that. And I really appreciate that. And then when we would review cases and I would say, hey, this case didn't go the way I thought it would, or the communication kind of fell to the wayside. What can I do better? He was very blunt, very, don't do that again. Or... I like that you did that. That's super important. Do that more often, which I thought for me is perfect. And I'm, I'm okay taking kind of the harsher criticism because I know that we had a good enough relationship outside of the hospital that he's doing this to invest in me as a doctor so that I can be better because that's ultimately what he wants for me. If I can be a better doctor, then his hospital is going to elevate. So that was great for me. Not everyone is going to like that type of criticism or that type of feedback. And he understands that. And I understood that. And I think that's why it's important to have kind of a committee of mentors, because even though I'm okay with that, I'm not okay with it a hundred percent of the time. It's not always going to be the best way to reach me or to make me feel better about cases moving forward. So Mm -hmm. he had counterparts 
within that hospital who are a little bit softer, I would say. They understand the flexibility of medicine and communication techniques are different. So I would also bounce ideas off of them to kind of formulate who I wanted to be as a veterinarian. Did you have conversations with this core mentor or the other mentors in the in the hospital about your communication style or did it just kind of happen as a result? You just almost like nonverbal communication style of, oh, yeah, that worked really well for me. I guess I, I'm trying to figure out how to ask that. Yeah, I think as in general practice and even in ER medicine, you develop certain spiels or kind of a block of facts or things that you want to communicate that you're always going to communicate in a similar fashion. So they would help me develop those. I will say one of the silver linings of COVID was we went curbside. And so a lot of communication became through the phone and we were all in the same office. So there were at times three doctors all talking to clients in the office. And so I would hear things and like the way that a certain doctor delivered a message or talked about a prognosis or a treatment plan or whatever comparison they made. And I was thinking, oh, I'm stealing that. That's so good. Mm-hmm. That's It's such a good way of communicating things. And it helped me understand tone and inflection and those types of things, because those are super important when you're talking over the phone and you don't have visual cues, body language, facial expressions to kind of support the message you're trying to deliver. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VEDEX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VETEX community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. And then what about like mentor to mentee? Did you like sit down with them and say, hey, it really like helps boost my confidence when you tell me good things about like what I did versus, hey, I learned the best when you approach me right after you see that I made an error. Like, did you have those kind of conversations? Yeah, I think we did a pretty good job at that hospital particularly about, hey, you just had a tough case. I want to give you feedback on it, but are you in a good mental state and emotional state to receive that feedback? Or do you want to table this and we'll talk about it another time? Maybe when this wound is not so fresh or this case is not so fresh in your brain and you've had some time to digest what just happened. So I think that's super important. And I will say that's probably another part of the mentorship that I could have been better for me 
he was really quick to correct mistakes, which is good because you don't want to make the same one over and over and over. But if I did something good, I don't necessarily didn't get the feedback. And you become a veterinarian when you're older. So it's not like you always need a pat on the back every time that you do something good, but it's always nice. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when you're in that early stage, like the early stage career, like one to three years out, you kind of need someone to come behind and say, hey, you did a really good job there. (laughs) Just like just a little bit. Yeah, it's super helpful. And I'm actually experiencing that now because I'm transitioning back to ER medicine. So it's nice to have kind of either if it's from a technician or a nurse, receptionist, hospital manager, whoever it is, say, hey, you're handling this really well, or we've had a ton of cases today, you've done great. Like all that feedback is super important to shape really anyone in their role. So then as you transition from your previous role to where you are now, did you look for mentorship in your new role or like, what did that look like? Yeah. So going from general practice to ER, it's a little bit different because the practice I'm with now has way more doctors than where I was previously. So I'm not always working with the same people, I'm not transferring cases to the same people. So mentorship now looks like a one-on-one meeting with my medical director to see, hey, how are you doing? Did I have any cases that came back with unideal outcomes or what can I do better? Are you hearing feedback from other doctors? Stuff like that. And I am very open to feedback. So I'll usually ask people, hey, we had rounds two days ago. How did you feel like they went? What could I have done better? Stuff like that. And is that a pattern that you developed in your previous role or in vet school? Or I guess like what makes it that you're proactively looking for feedback, whereas some people maybe don't? I don't know when that habit developed. It's probably veterinary school, uh, especially fourth year, when things become less about your grade or how you did on a particular test and more about how your interactions are going. Because you're not getting grading and the way that we learn through testing or how they evaluate learning through testing is great because it gives you direct feedback. Oh, I got this question wrong. I don't know that subject as well. Right. Mm -hmm. But when the vet medicine graduates to real life and your cases, you have to kind of seek that feedback or you're never going to get it. I think something I learned early on that I did not know about vet med is you're not going to hear from the cases that go well. Like you can fix the craziest wound and they will not come to their recheck appointment because everything went perfectly. Right. But you'll hear back from the ones that aren't doing well because they are still sick or something went wrong. So that is kind of it makes it easier for veterinarians, especially young veterinarians, to feel like, man, I am not doing well. All these cases keep coming back. None of them are getting better. But really, you're just not hearing back from the ones who did great Mm because they don't need to see you again. So that was kind of hard to let go of when I was recent grad. And so what would you say would be a good way for new grads to counteract that if they, they're proactively thinking, okay, I'm probably not going to hear the good news as often as it's actually happening. How can they seek that out? 
Yeah, I mean, you can always have someone follow up with a case, but again, like if the owner doesn't answer the phone or doesn't reply to the email, you just have to let it go. I don't know that you're ever going to get the true feedback on all your cases. It's kind of like surveys, right? People only do surveys or leave reviews if they feel very passionately one way or the other. So you're not going to get all those middle ground people who are happy with the service that they got, but not happy enough to leave a shining review. My greatest advice is try to not think about it. You need to develop something that is outside the hospital, has nothing to do with medicine, that is going to wrap your brain up and consume all that focus and energy. Because ultimately, your life is not defined by how your cases go. It's, you know, there's so many other things that we need to do. And we've talked, I think you've talked about this multiple times, like work-life symbiosis. Yes, there's that word. I love it. (laughs) Try not to worry about those things and find the thing that takes you out of that hospital setting, takes you out of the medical mindset and just get lost in it when you can, because that's how we're going to get to symbiosis symbiosis. Love it. Love hearing it. And like the things that I'm hearing from you is like, yes, it's really good. Like it is really fulfilling when you get the good news back on a case. Like I had one recently. It was like a chronic allergy dog that had the owner was frustrated. They'd seen multiple vets for things. I sat them down, had a heart to heart, um, implemented a plan. The owner followed through on it, came back for their recheck and we were both smiling ear to ear. The dog was smiling ear from ear as well. Super comfortable. And so those are the ones that you just really have to latch on to and be like, okay, I'm not going to get it right every time. And granted, you can do the same thing for multiple cases and it won't turn out perfectly every single time. Yeah. Realizing that, but also seeking out, like be proactive about asking the people in your office about, hey, how do you think I did on that conversation? Or how do you think I handled, like uh, asking one of your mentors, like, how do you think I handled that case? Like, let's go through it together and proactively seeking that out. But also on the flip side of your well-being aspect, really finding something that is not in the veterinary space, which is really hard to do as a new grad, uh, partly because like for both of us, like when you're in vet school, like everything is vet school. Everything is medicine. You're 24-7, you're studying, you're talking to your vet school friends. And if you're lucky, you have people outside of veterinary medicine. But for the most part, those four years are a pressure cooker. And it's incredibly hard to set up patterns at that point in your life. It's possible, but it's hard to set up those patterns so that when you graduate and you're an early career or a new graduate vet, that you can say, okay, I've already kind of practiced how to take care of myself now to put it into now to actually implement that in a different phase of life. So for you, when you graduated vet school, you started out as an early career veterinarian. What were you doing to fulfill those other aspects of your well-being? I could see where you were going with that question. And it's so funny to me because my mentor was obsessed with sports, particularly Ultimate Frisbee, which is a very, very small community. The actual first time I met him was on a sports field. I didn't meet him in the hospital, didn't meet him out at dinner, and he actually didn't know who I was. So I went out there, made a fool of myself, 
Oh my and gosh. And was playing this sport that was new. And at some point we passed each other on the field and uh, introduced ourselves. And he said, yeah, I'm Joel Kahn. And I said, oh yeah, I'm your extern right now. And that was how we met. And I joke with people all the time in that community that that's why I kept my job because I kept playing afterwards. I really enjoy physical activity, working out sports like basketball, used to go to the beach a lot with Charlie, anything to get me out of the house and out of the hospital, I'm into. And then food. Food is the other thing yes, that I can't really forget do. food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think something that was important for me during my early years was that my mentor mentored me in medicine, but then also encouraged me to not think about it when I'm out of the hospital. My time off is time off. We're not mm -hmm. going to contact you. We're not going to make you come in. If there's a cool surgery that we want you to see because you're potentially going to do it in the future, yeah, you're welcome to come in and scrub in and be part of it. But it's absolutely not. No pressure. Mandatory. That's right. awesome. The other cool thing was that the community that we lived in is a very small town and it's hard for people to find jobs there. So it was really cool for me because they not only played a role with me finding a job, but they also made sure that my wife had, you know, a network of her own and they kind of set her up to meet people or um, do things. And because we're a package deal, if she's happy, then I'm happy and we're staying where we are, which I thought was a pretty cool aspect that probably not everyone's going to get definitely not everyone's going to get from their mentors, right? Like, That's like a unicorn practice. They took yeah. care of you as a doctor, <laughs> but also as a family and then as a community, which those are like different circles that you don't really think about when you're looking for a job. Right. And like you and said, not everyone's going to be able to find that exact thing. But if you put it on your priority list, then you can, when you sit down for that interview, you can say, hey, what opportunities are out there for, say, if you have you have a partner that needs to find a job or what's out there in this type of community? Do they have an ultimate Frisbee team that's in the community? Like these are little things that you can ask. And I would encourage you to ask whether you're in a job interview or you're just externing, like figure out what the network is surrounding that particular hospital. Because I know as, as a student looking for a job, you're like, I just need to have a job so I have money to pay off my loans. That's the only thing on my mind, <laughs> but it's so much more. That's why I say it was so much luck because those were probably my one, two, three things. So it's like, are you going to pay me? What are the hours like? Am I going to be able to afford to live here? Yep. And so we look at those, those things because those are big necessities. And as a graduating veterinarian, we want to make sure we meet those. But I think it's pretty important to make sure you're also meeting your other requirements. I think mentorship is probably, it's got to be one of the most highly listed things in terms of priorities for new grad veterinarians. And I think it should be. But we also have a lot of other stressors that are probably creeping up behind it and, and take priority there. Like really keeping those priorities, list them out on a piece of paper when you go to those interviews. It will help you in the long run. So I feel like now is a, a perfect time to kind of take that little turn and say, okay, you've had your experiences of awesome mentorship through your career so far. 
and now you have the friendly vet on Instagram. So what has propelled you to want to be a mentor for these vet students and these early grads that you're interacting with on Instagram? There's just a general lack of it, I think. And not by fault of anyone. I think there's just a lack of mentorship available. I have been pretty lucky to be a mentee, but then also have the opportunity to be a mentor. We hired a new grad at the practice I was with in my last year. And even though I didn't say, hey, I want to be your mentor, let me be your mentor and have this formal discussion, I think because of how personalities are, you're just going to find certain doctors that you mesh with. So I was able to really connect with this new grad veterinarian. Her name is Dr. Carly Gerhardt, and she's wonderful. But essentially what happened there is, like I said, the type of mentorship at that hospital is not for everyone. So it was kind of this relationship where I would see that she would really benefit from a little bit softer touch, a little bit more discussion. And that's not something that's really hard or time consuming for really anyone. And it's really easy. So I got a ton out of that relationship, learning from her, seeing her flourish, which was great. And I think it's always wonderful to see people go from the state of learning to like this state of independence where you see them in one situation and they don't know what they're doing or they, they're not confident enough in what they're doing. And then weeks later, months later, that same situation happens and you can just step back and say, yeah, she's going to handle this perfectly. She's completely prepared. She's got all the tools, everything she needs up here. And that is so fulfilling to me to see that happen. And to know that you, like, it's not like you created this awesome veterinarian. It's you just help them realize their full potential. And there's not much that you physically or like have to do. But that is honestly, that's like the coolest part about mentorship is saying is watching someone go through that process. And you don't really realize how cool it is until they come back to you and they're like, hey, look at this thing that I just did. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> like, yeah. That is so cool. So that's probably like where my drive for speaking with younger veterinarians comes from. But truly, the Friendly Vet started as this thing to avoid having the same conversations over and over with family and friends just wanted to be a resource for them where they could like click on a video and say, Oh yeah, that's what he recommended instead of calling me at all times of the night and saying, Oh my gosh, this is what's happening. But the Vetstagram community is so small that you end up getting interactions with younger veterinary students who are reaching out and saying, Hey, I really enjoyed this or I like the way that you said that I'm going to use that. And, and then you, go to a conference and you meet these people and it's just been super rewarding there as well. So I don't know, it just keeps morphing into something new and I'm really enjoying it. So, And honestly, the Vestagram community is better off for having you a part of it. Uh, that's how we connected here. I mean, we wouldn't be chatting. You guys wouldn't be able to listen to Marcus tell his story about mentorship if it wasn't for technology and Vetstagram and just having this really tight-knit community through technology. 
So I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, telling us your story, talking about our favorite topic of mentorship and symbiosis. Gotta love that word. I want to provide a little bit of space. So like, tell us like, I know you've kind of gone over the friendly vet, but in a 30 second spiel, like what is the friendly vet um, and where can people find you? Are you on TikTok? I am on TikTok. Oh my gosh. Not nearly the presence (laughs) that I have on Instagram. I'm still like trying to learn how that space can be best utilized for me. But yeah, Marcus De La Cruz on Instagram at the friendly vet. That account was started with a couple of core ideas. One being let's be a good resource for pet parents um, because there's so much misinformation and misinterpretation of good information on the internet. So let's be a good source there. Two was to just bring a smile to people's faces. So that's mainly what Charlie is there for. And just kind of connect with people through social media. So at the friendly vet, that's where I'm at. There we go. No, that's great. And I encourage you guys go on to Instagram, even TikTok and go and say hi to Marcus. Super awesome, super friendly, super helpful person. If you want to talk food, he's there. He's going to be your yeah. resource when it comes to food blogging. So I'm still waiting for the friendly foodie to come out. You got to make that happen, man. You got to make that happen. It'd be awesome. I'll start working on it now. <laughs> And Charlie can then take over the friendly vet. It'll be great. It'll be great. But (laughs) cool. Well, that is it for today's episode, you guys. Definitely go and check out the friendly vet, like we said. And then also, if you want to find out more, you can go on over to the VetX International community at vetxinternational.com. But until next time, y'all. See ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life.